If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. You're listening to Off The Mix. I'd wait for all the dark clouds bursting 
So thanks for joining me tonight on Brain Purge. We are talking tonight about um, just whatever's on my mind, as usual, on the Brain Purge show. So if you want to call into the show, you have something you'd like to say, feel free to call in at 214-377-0481. Or you can call in by using Skype and call in at the Off Limits show, just Off Limits show. Uh, and you can call in that way as well. So I'm happy to take your calls if you want to talk about something I'm talking about tonight. And if you have anything to say, it's Brain Purge. So whatever's on your mind is 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 perfectly fine. Whatever you want to talk about is good 
with me. Uh, so um, feel free to call in if you would like to talk to me. So um, tonight I'm just talking about what's on my mind, and I um, want to talk a little bit about judgment and uh, what is judgment, what it isn't, and um, what you know. I've been getting a lot of lately uh, in my life is um, people ha having disagreements with people and people saying that. Um, that you're being judgmental if you have an opinion about something. And to me, it's not the same thing to be judgmental and to have an opinion. And it also, when it's coming from someone else that you know is equally as judgmental, if you want to put it that way, as, as uh, I may be about something, um, it's hypocritical. And also, um, I don't find, you know, people often talk about judgment. You shouldn't judge people, whatever. But we all judge people, no matter who you are where you live or how evolved you are as a human being, you cannot not judge people and for who for the decisions they make or choices they make to some degree anyway. Now, I try not to judge people, but you know, I'm human and there are times when I do. And um, I make, if someone asks me my opinion about something, I will make known what my opinion is. And if my opinion is not necessarily in line with what they think or what the person doing the action is, thinks, then that doesn't make me judgmental. It simply makes me you know, gives you my opinion of the matter. So um, I find it to be a little annoying when people say you're being judgmental if you say something about something. So let me give you an example. So let's say someone is doing something that harms them, that harms them in their life. And um, I say to someone else, you know, well, I think they shouldn't do this and that because I see it harming them over and over again. And I'm speaking from a place of concern and a place of, um, of love, really, in uh, the instance of a friend or a relative and uh, I say they shouldn't behave this way because X, Y, and Z will happen as a result. And I don't want to see X, Y, and Z happen again to this person because they've been hurt over and over and over, repeating the same behavior over and over again. So, you know, I may get upset and say, well, I don't think they should do that. They're doing, they're making the wrong decision, blah, blah, blah. And that's my decision to say that and to respond that way. Um, but, you know, not everybody agrees with me. But anyway, I just wanted to say, you know, I think judging is something that we all do. When we walking down the street, we're looking at other people. <clears throat> we're excuse me, we're making a snap judgment of that person based on what they're wearing, how they're dressed, you know, um, what they look like, how their hair is, how their face is, um, if they're attractive, if they're not attractive, their socioeconomic background based on the car they drive, maybe or the bag they're carrying or whatever. And those are superficial things because you really can't judge a book by its cover most of the time. Now, there are some things that really do give you cues and, and indications of what a person is and who they are and what they have. But honestly, there have been many instances where I've met people who, you know, if you're talking about money or financial um, wealth, that don't dress at all in that fashion. They don't act as if they have money. They don't look like they have money. They just don't because they don't flaunt it because they don't need to. And they're just not showy people. And there are people who have tons of money who do. Um, but you can't make snap decisions about that. And there was an instance with Oprah Winfrey, actually, just recently, where she was in Geneva uh, or Zurich. I think she was in Zurich, actually, in Switzerland. And she was shopping. She was at um, a hotel uh, there. And uh, she had left Stedman and Gail, her friend, and her husband or her boyfriend, whatever, 20 years, whatever, uh, there. And... Um, she wanted to go off for a walk by herself and go shopping. And so she was in full, as she put it, Oprah regalia, you know, full, you know, dressed up, makeup, everything. The only thing she didn't have on were her fake eyelashes. 
And so she went into this very, very high-end store um, where they had this purse that she saw that had caught her eye. And when she went into the store, the clerk there um, was very rude to her. And Oprah had said to the clerk, well, um, she said, can I see that bag up there, the black one? She said, no, you cannot see it. It's too expensive for you. And Oprah just looked at her and said, no, I just really would like to see that the black bag up there, if you don't mind. I'm interested in it. And she said, no, you need to look at something cheaper. Look at this. Look at that. This is this That bag is too expensive for you. Am I going to bring it to you? And so Oprah said, oh, okay, thanks. And she left. Now, I think that was an incredibly gracious reaction to someone judging her and also being racist. Um, and people would say, oh, well, she wasn't being racist because how do you know she was being racist? Well, she was judging this woman who walked in there based on her race. If it had been a white woman dressed the same way Oprah had been dressed, she would not have made a second thought about showing her the bag. But because she, this woman equates and uh, makes a judgment based upon her race and um, um, extrapolates the idea that this woman must not be able to afford a $40,000 bag. That's how much it costs, by the way. A $40,000 bag because she's black. And the interesting thing is they don't get um, the Oprah Winfrey show in Switzerland, uh, one of the few countries that don't that doesn't show it. And so, you know, it was an interesting experience for her, but I was really proud of her responding the way she did, and as I would have been anyone who responded that way, because she was able to actually walk into that store, have dignity, know that she could not only buy that bag, but she could buy the whole fucking store if she wanted to, and um, not have to play the race card on this woman, even though that's part of the problem, and not have to say, "Do you know? don't you know who I am, or any of that stuff. She was just like, oh, okay, and she left, because I, I think the reason she did that was because she knew that it just would have caused a, you know, first of all, the media would have been all over it, which they were anyway, um, but also would have made her look bad in the public eye. And also, I don't think she needed to justify it to this woman. She knows who she is. She knows what she can buy, what she can't buy. And she knows that this woman has a problem with race and makes uh, judgments and just prejudiced. Basically, that's what prejudice is. She's prejudging her based on her race instead of just acknowledging the fact that this woman could have just as much money as anyone else who walks in there because, you know, despite her race. So hopefully, um, so I thought that was a great story and hopefully she will, um, you know, the store has since apologized profusely to her and has, has, you know, said to her how sorry they are and blah, blah, blah. But of course they do. Now that they know she's Oprah Winfrey, of course they are going to apologize to her and be completely, um, you know, mea culpa about the whole thing. Um, but if it had been anybody else, just a normal, when I say normal, non-famous, uh, non, you know, non-entity of their own, like Oprah Winfrey, uh, African-American woman who'd walked in there, she should have been treated the same way as if this had, if they had known this woman, uh, Oprah Winfrey could afford the bag. I mean, she shouldn't have been treated that way just because of her race. So, you know, we still live in a day and age where it is something that people are completely, um, stuck on and still to this day have no um you know some of them are just so completely living in the past that they still have no idea how retarded they are or as ridiculous they are excuse me um how ridiculous they are they're acting and how sad they are and they're on the wrong side of history and you know i hear plenty of people on 
on um, online who talk about race and talk about um, you know race and people of different races in a bad way and act as if people of different races are somehow inferior. And um, that gets very tiring to me, just as it does people treating gay people in the same way, treating us like we are inferior to heterosexuals simply because we're different. And to me, what makes people different is what makes people interesting. I would hate to live in a world where we were all heterosexual. First of all, if we were all heterosexual, think about how few hairdressers there would be. Um, the movie industry would be completely distraught and it would have very low quality of set design of writing, of production, of acting, of directing. I mean, these things are things that are the domain of many gay people, whether you know it or realize it or not. And without gay people, your life would be very different. Our lives would be very different. So I think it's important for people to acknowledge when they think about gays and lesbians or you know people of different races to understand and acknowledge what that race or that culture or you know, sexual orientation has has uh, um, brought to the world and contributed to the world. All races, all people of all sexual orientations, all religions, everything have contributed something positive in some way or another to the world. Um, you know, so it's not like you can just say someone's one thing and the, therefore they are worthless. No, all of us have something to contribute, and all of us are um, important to the larger fabric of society to the larger fabric of what is um, our world, what makes up our world, you know? So hopefully that makes sense and um, you understand what I'm saying. So I'm gonna take a quick break, come back, and if you wanna call in the numbers 214-377-0481, I'm happy to talk to you. Uh, and um, we're gonna play some music and we'll be right back.
to call into the show, you can call into Sorry about that, everybody. Um, you can um, dial into my show at Sorry, I'm having technical difficulties, <laughs> apparently. Sorry about that. Uh, so if you want to call in the show, that number is 214-377-0481. Feel free to call in and chat with me if you want to. If you don't, you can sit back and listen. Uh, so anyway, sorry about the technical difficulties. I'm, I keep trying to remember how to do things right on here. I keep forgetting sometimes because it's a little more complicated than uh, what I'm used to. So I apologize if I'm having some, um, some fails on the show here. Uh, so what I was talking about earlier was judgment and looking at things that way. But, um, Lately, I've been thinking a lot about uh, spirituality and thinking about um, how I feel about that in general. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I feel like I don't talk about it as much as I used to on my show. Um, and, you know, I, I've often said that, you know, I you could call me an atheist, but I'm not really an atheist because I actually have a spiritual belief. So I'm certainly not an atheist. I'm uh, more of a um, humanist, uh, if you want to call it that. And um, humanists um, basically believe that there is no, that there could potentially be a God. There could potentially be some sort of um, higher entity. We're not saying that there isn't. But if there is a God, that we believe that um, he doesn't interfere with um with everyday lives of, of humans. So for example, if you believe in the big bang theory, then you might believe, okay, which I do. Um, if you believe in the big bang theory, we don't know what happened before the big bang, but whatever happened after it, um, that was it. God set into motion, everything. And then everything just happened as it was going to happen. Humanity evolved, you know, dinosaurs evolved and humanity evolved and so on. So it was never, uh, something where God is sitting around, as I've always said, on a throne looking at us and, and judging us and making judgments on who we are as hum humans. Creating us um, is, is sort of a fluke of nature, what happens to us, I think. I don't think we're created necessarily, 
by anything. I think we just sort of evolved and you know, we're born and then we live. Um, so the question always becomes, you know, what I was going to say, humanists believe that we as humans are able to somewhat govern, we're able to govern our own lives without the need of a super, supreme being. Um, even if there is a supreme being, we don't believe it's necessary for that being to interfere with our lives in order for us to govern ourselves. Because a lot of times people will say to atheists who are atheists, you know, they'll say, well, atheists don't believe in anything, so they must have horrible morality. And of course, that's ridiculous. Of course, that's not true. I know many atheists who are really wonderful people and give tons of charity and are just nice, wonderful, great people. Um, but the point of humanism is, is like, without God, you still are going to know that you don't, you don't murder each other, that you don't steal, that you, you're still going to have a morality based on humanistic views, meaning humans can determine for themselves what is and isn't right and that sort of thing and that's what that's where the morality comes from so you don't need a religion to tell you what to believe you can know innately as a human being what is and isn't right and what is and isn't wrong what is and isn't right and wrong sorry so i think that um a lot of times that gets kind of lost in the fray when you're talking about um, other belief systems other than um than you know the typical christianity or whatever um, but I also have a lot of very kind of Eastern philosophy type views on religion or, or spirituality. Um, I, you know, I was almost going to be a Buddhist to some degree in terms of when I was searching for a religion to follow because I wanted to, the problem I always have with religion before I get into that is that when I was looking for a religion to follow, you know, I was raised Christian or Southern Baptist specifically and I, as I've always said, never really believed in it. As I got older, I began to question it and, and thought it was all horseshit. And so I began to look at all sorts of religions. I looked at, um, I looked at uh, Judaism. You know, I looked at um, sex of sex of the um, Christian faith or, you know, uh, like Protestantism, Catholicism um, and so on. I looked at the Islam religion. I looked at um, Buddhist Buddhism, um, Taoism, what else did I look at? Kabbalah, uh, I looked into that when Madonna was all into that in 1998 and uh, was, you know, kind of followed that for a while. And so through all of these religions, though, I always told myself that the one test had to be that I had to believe in it fully, 100%. And so that's why I'm not religious, because I don't believe in any religion 100%. There's nothing in any book or texts or anything a, a pastor, priest, or imam or anybody else could tell me um or rabbi could tell me um that is a hundred percent you know on my viewpoint and so i do look for religion to fit my views because i feel that that's what religion is most people look at religion and say well religion isn't meant to fit your views your views are meant to fit the religion and that's where the dogma comes in for me where the dogma of religion is absolutely the most uninteresting and most off-putting part of it because dogma says you must do this you must do that it must be this way you must pray this often you must give this much money you must do this you can't do that you can't be gay you can't be this you, you know and so that's what the dogma is and i feel like people are turned away from religion because of it well you know me included um and so I am someone who does not like to be told what to do at all. I've never been, I've, even my mom will tell you when I was a little five-year-old, four-year-old even, I was not 
<laughs> the person, you know, you would tell me what to do and I would just ignore you if I didn't want to do it or I would, uh, you know, pretend to do it or something. I just didn't, I just have always been my own individual. I've never been someone who's able to be told what to do. Um, so, um, because of that dogma has never appealed to me and most religion hasn't either. And so as I was searching for religion and, 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 and I feel that, you know, when anybody or anything tells you what to believe, it's telling you this is how you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to think that that's that's a red flag that's a cult or that's something that you should be weary of you should never just take everything on blind faith you should always take everything at um at your own um investigational level meaning you look into it you actually research it you compare it and contrast it to what you know as factual and what you feel is real um, and you know, that's the part of spirituality that is intangible. And a lot of people, you know, have a lot of discussions and a lot of arguments with people who are atheists or whatever about that, because although I'm not an atheist and I don't, I don't believe in a religion, I do have a spiritual context to my, to myself. And, and I feel what I feel uh, in terms of, um, my emotional state and, in a spiritual state, which is a heightened state of that, um, really, is something that they often have a really difficult time understanding or, or uh, really getting. You know, they often under, don't understand that, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That spirituality is not about facts. It's not about what you necessarily know. It's what about, it's about what you feel connected to. Um, and so sometimes, you know, how can I explain this spirituality? A lot of times people have a hard time understanding what is meant by that word. And for me, it's a connection to each other. It's an, it's not, it's even higher than an emotional connection. It's not, it's not a physical connection. It's not an emotional connection. It's something else. It's as if we are all one. Okay. And even on the scientific level or this or spiritual level, I'm sorry, at the scientific level, uh, we, are all one technically because we are all made up of stars. We are all made up of what, you know, the stardust essentially, you know, the cells and the molecules that came from stars that created this planet that and meteors that crashed into it and et cetera. So if you want to get into it scientifically, we are all technically part of a whole. So whatever the big bang was, that one particle, the God particle, they call it, whatever it was that expanded into the universe and it made all the planets and everything that exists in our universe anyway, that we know of, um, was, uh, is everything that we're made of. So all of us have always existed and we always will exist. Um, and when I mean, from a scientific standpoint, what I mean is we are energy and energy cannot be created or destroyed as is what is understood by physicists and, you know, astrophysicists and everything else. You can't create energy and you can't destroy it. So if we are all energy, then that means we can never die, technically. Um, so our cells, are whatever we are made of, our molecules, whatever makes us up, um, will continue on after we die. But it's that intangible part of ourselves that we try to, I'm trying to, to get to here. It's the intangible part that you can't describe with science, that you can't describe with even religion, and you can't describe in any other way but through spirituality, because religion confines what I'm talking about to a one person's viewpoint or one uh, religion's viewpoint. 
And of course, science does the same thing. It confines spirituality to evidence-based, you know, evidence-based um, research or, or fa- what's factual or whatever, what they consider factual. So spirituality is outside the realm of both religion and science because it is that intangible thing. And even sciences, scientists and religious people, neither one can explain what began the universe, what came before the universe. If you want to call it God, then what created God? What created what created God? You know, and so on and so on and so on. And that's the question that I think everybody has, even if there are multiverses, multi-universes, and there are many, many different existences in this uh, existence that we're in. Um, each of those universes had to be created through something. They had to be created through from something. Nothing can be created or destroyed, uh, you know, at all. So it's it's energy cannot be created or destroyed is what I'm trying to say. So something created that. So that's the that's the conundrum or whatever. Um, because you say, well, if something created that, then what created that? And what created that? What created that? And you can keep going on and on and on like a wall of mirrors behind you. You just keep seeing, you know, an eternal question that never gets really answered. So it is a very difficult question and is one that, um, that no one can answer. And so when people tell me, oh, I know this is true and I know that's true. I know this, my religion is the real religion or I know, um, I know that, you know, it's all bullshit and you know, atheists are right. There's nothing else after we die. Nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything until you're dead. Until you're dead, until we're all gone, we don't know what happens. Either we do die and we know nothing more, our consciousness ceases to exist, or our consciousness moves on. It's one or the other. And neither atheists nor um, spiritual people or religious people know the answer to that. So anyway, I just wanted to to talk a little bit about that. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about some other topics as well. If you want to call in, number is 214. What is the number? 214-377-0481. And um, I'll be right back.
Okay, so we're back. Thanks for joining me tonight. If you're listening on Block Talk Radio right now, um, the show's going to end in about three minutes. So if you want to hear the rest of the show, you can go to Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com, and uh, search for Off Limits Show. And uh, we're streaming live from Spreaker. So feel free to go there and listen. You can go in the chat room there as well if you want. And if you want to call in, the number is 214-377-0481. So... Uh, thanks for listening if you're on Block, Block Talk Radio. All right. So um, what was I saying? Uh, so, oh, so we're talking about um, kind of spirituality and, you know, the human experience. And as I was talking about earlier, you know, I really looked into Buddhism and looked at that a great deal um, at a period of my life. And I think it's in terms of my spirituality anyway. You know, I'm sort of a cross between a Buddhist and a humanist, um, which is kind of an interesting combination, but that's kind of the way I think in terms of what I feel the truth is in terms of spirituality. Um, So if you uh, look at Buddhism, you know, whether you're religious or not, to be Buddhist, you don't have to be religious. And people think that religion is worshiping Buddha, and that's had nothing to do with Buddhism, really. Um, Buddhism is not worshiping Buddha. Buddhism is looking at the teacher Buddha. and taking the lessons that he taught and trying to implement them in your life. And so anyone could do that, whether you're a Buddhist or you're just religious or if you're a Christian even or a Catholic or even an atheist, anybody can employ these thoughts into their, um, their life and improve their life. And so one of the quotes uh, that the Buddha had, which I agree with wholeheartedly, is, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. The mind is everything. What we we think, what what we think we become. So that is very true. And if you think about what you put out there in terms of your energy, in terms of even if you don't believe in energy, even if just what you put out there in terms of your own life and how you treat treat other people and how you go about your life every day, and you really think about you know, the ramifications of that, what actually comes out of it, you'll see that this this is true. So whatever you think is what you are and what you become, your thoughts create action and action creates consequences or rewards. And so everything begins with a single thought, whether it's even just to pick up the glass on your, your desk to get a drink or to um, tell someone you hate them or you love them or anything that you do starts with a single thought. And so if you remember to think of things that way, you'll remember to actually think about what you're thinking, to actually remember that you can control how you think. You can control what your mind is telling you. And as a result, what happens from that, you know, what the um, rewards or consequences of are those thoughts. So, and people are often talking about wanting to be happy or whatever, and like happiness is a destination or something. Like happiness is a place you get to. And I think that's one of the main um, the main flaws of our thinking, especially here in the United States. Um, and I'm guilty of it as well. And I've thought that way from a very large majority of my life that, oh, when I get this, I'll be happy. When I achieve this, I'll be happy. When, I, when my life looks like a certain picture, then I'll be happy. And the thing I finally came to realize is that thing, happiness is not a destination it's a direction it's not a place you reach it's a it's a journey and that's you know the old saying you know it's about the journey not the destination and that's very very true and people think of it as some 
trite cliche, and it may be, but it also has a great abundance of truth in it. If you think about that, that happiness is a direction and not a place, then you realize that your life as you're living it at this moment is the direction. So the direction you're pointing your life in, the direction you're leading your life uh, toward, that is your happiness. You're either going to be happy now or you're never going to be happy. So you have to choose to be happy now. You have to make your life what you want it to be now. You have to make that picture you have of the ultimate result of your life, whatever it's going to be, now, not in the future when you get uh, a mansion or you get the BMW or you get the uh, um, the kids or the husband or the wife or the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the job or the promotion or the money or whatever it is you're waiting to, to get. If you're continually waiting to get something to make you happy, you will never be happy. And that's another tenet of Buddhism, which I also believe in. Um, even though I'm not a Buddhist, I believe in this as well. And that's um, that uh, one of the main tenets, I think I would say probably the, the main one is that a Buddhism is not to uh, have attachments. And so not to, one of the reasons that the Buddha, whatever, was like um, um, poor and didn't take money or anything like that and, and didn't have a lot, even though he came from a wealthy family, he shunned all that. And because he believed that having those things, he saw that the having those things kept him prisoner. And so if you think about it, if you think about us as human beings and Americans, uh, today, we are absolutely attached to things. We are attached to our iPod, our iPad, our computers, to uh, our clothing, our cars, our homes, a place that we live in, people we know, whatever. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't develop relationships with people, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have love and you shouldn't have connections and all of those things. Yes, you should. But it's talking more more about material things, also about people, but more about material things. So if you are if you are tethered to um, the things that you own, you are in a sense a prisoner. This is why debt is so bad. I'll get into that later. But um, you're essentially a prisoner if you are tethered to the things that you own or a place or whatever it is that you feel you cannot let go of because it somehow defines you or somehow it makes you whole or makes you quote unquote happy, then you are not truly fulfilled because you are living a life that is based upon external um, acquisition, I guess is the best way to put it. You're basing your life on things that don't matter and, and basing your life on things that are superficial and vapid and without any true meaning. And it's fine to love nice things, it's, it, which I do. Trust me, I do. It's, ni- it's fine to want nice things and to, to aim at that as a goal in your life or whatever, uh, ultimately. But to, to feel that that's going to ultimately make you happy is not true. It's not true at all. And that's proven by people who are highly, incredibly wealthy, who, yes, are generally happier than people who are poor or people who have to, to worry about where their next meal is coming from. Of course, of course, they're happier. But does it make them, does the money itself make them happy? No, it's not what fulfills them uh, as a person. Once you get so much money, you get to a certain level, a certain echelon of um, material wealth you it doesn't matter what you get after that you use a certain point where you know 10 million dollars or 20 million dollars is the same as a billion dollars you don't the difference is negligible in terms of your happiness level so 
And there was actually a study about this. I watched a movie and there's actually a book about happiness. I read it a while back, which uh, was done by a study done by scientists and neuroscientists um, about what makes people happy and why. And it was proven that once people reach, if you're under the, if you're under $20,000 a year, if you're in the poverty level and you get $50,000 a year job and you go from $20,000 a year job to $50,000 a year job and you're just, you're by yourself or whatever, that hap- your happiness level goes up by like 300% or something like that, okay? And then if you are having a $50,000 job and you go from $50,000 to a $100,000 job, your happiness level increases by about 20%. And if you go from a $100,000 job to a million dollars a year, your happiness level increases by about 1%. And above a million dollars or anything like that, your happiness level is negligible. It doesn't go up and actually it decreases in some ways. So it was a very interesting study. I wish I could find it so I could give you some details on it. I can't remember where I saw it. I saw it on Netflix, a Netflix documentary and also read about it in a book. I think the book was called Happy. It has a white cover and orange letters, I think, but if I can remember. But anyway, so the whole point about this is, is like if you want to be happy, you have to um, decide for yourself that it is the path you're on that makes you happy, not the destination. You're never going to get to a place where, oh, God, here, I'm happy now. It's about what happens on the way. And, um, you know, one of the things that makes people unhappy a lot of the times is that the path that they've chosen um, is, or the path that they want to follow is not congruent with the path that their family or friends or relatives or whatever uh, or peers tell them they should be on. So a lot of times people are unhappy because they followed a path that was someone else's, not their own. They are following a path that is completely um, not resonant with their spirit or their soul, whatever you want to call it. It is not uh, in line with what they were meant to be, if you would believe in meant to be, but I mean, what their true essence is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's not in line with that. And and anyone who is not in line with, with their true essence or not in line with what they're meant to do in life is never going to be happy because you can... You can be, let's say you want to be an artist, okay? And you've always wanted to be an artist. You're in a great, you're really good at art and you've loved it all your life, whether it's photography or fine art or sculpture or whatever it is. And, but your parents were wealthy and they told you you can't be an artist or not wealthy, I'm sorry, poor. You, and your parents told you you can't be an artist because you'll never make any money. You need to get a stable income and job because they are afraid that you're going to end up the way they did. So you, you follow their advice and you go to college and you go to a four-year college, you get a degree and you go maybe even to grad school or go to law school or something or even medical school. And you're, now you're a successful doctor or a successful attorney or architect or scientist or, or business person, whatever, or CEO, whatever you are. And you're still not happy. You're still not fulfilled um, with your career because you went with the safe, quote unquote, safe route instead of the route that was less defined and and less sure but the thing is you most people who get to that point are still going to go back and end up regretting the fact they never did something they're going to die on their deathbed saying if only i had done this or done that or followed my own heart instead of doing what my family told me to do and yeah you may have some money you may have some some prestige but if your true essence and your true spirit is not in line with being an attorney or whatever, 
and your true essence is to be an artist or to be a photographer or, or, or something that's much less safe in terms of material wealth, um, then you're not going to be happy. Whereas if you had gone the route of photography or art or whatever it is you wanted to do in your life career-wise, um, even though it was an unsure path, you still could have ended up just as successful financially as you did or would have if you'd been an attorney or something else. And maybe not. But the difference is this. As an attorney, yeah, you have some money and you have security that way, but you're unfulfilled. And there's nothing worse than being an unfulfilled individual. You're not going to ever be happy. And the happiness level you have is going to be completely squelched by any any other positive things you have because you never fulfilled what you were meant to do. And so um, that's the, it really exhibits the importance of choosing your own path in life and ignoring the pressure you may get from family and friends or society in general. And I, you know, to, to follow one's own path does not guarantee success. To follow one's own path does not guarantee you'll be a success at that if it's career you're talking about or, or you're following your heart or whatever in love. It doesn't mean it'll work out. It doesn't. But it does mean you won't live a life filled with regrets or what ifs. And it does mean that you will have been true to who you are and not true to what someone else wanted you to be, which I think is the worst thing to live a life of regrets like that. And we all have regrets, but to die and to um, or to be in your deathbed and say, if only I had and never know what would have happened it's got to be probably one of the most agonizing things that, um, you know, I can think of. So got to take a break, come back and talk some more and we'll be right back after this. Now all 
say before I left the more about um, letting go of attachments uh, I talked about material attachments but I wanted to talk about also um, relationships and letting go that way or not letting go so much but not having attachments to the point that it's detrimental to your own life or whatever so um, what, I, what I'm trying to say is is yes it's important to have relationships or whatever but you have to not be afraid to lose someone because as the old saying goes, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if you let them go and they come back to you, it's always meant to be, blah, blah, blah. And that's true because, you know, if you continually 
need to have somebody in order to be happy, if you continue to need someone outside of yourself to be fulfilled, you will never be happy because no one will ever fulfill you the way that you can fulfill yourself in terms of keeping yourself whole and fulfilling your own personal needs and desires in life. And so you can't look outside of yourself to find that. You have to find it within. And I know it all sounds so cliche and trite and everything, but it, it the reason that it's a cliche is because it's true. I mean, you hear things over and over again because they're true, usually. So, um, so you have to remember that if you are in a relationship, you're married, you're you're just dating somebody, whatever, you can't allow, or just if it's your family member, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, whatever, um, that you're really close to, you can't be afraid to let them go. If they need to go, let them go. If they come back to you, they do. It was meant to be because they, they understood maybe they need time away, whatever, but you can't be afraid to let people who are close to you um fall out of your life if necessary um, it, because what happens if, is if you create this uh, unhealthy attachment to someone is that you're once again creating a prison for yourself your your prison your self-imposed prison is that person your relationship with that person and you'll do anything not to lose it um, at, even to your own detriment even if like say like you need to move somewhere you want to move somewhere else you want to live in Paris or something and you've always wanted to you have an opportunity to do that but you stay where you are because you don't want to lose this person that you're with um, because they didn't want to go and they refused to go I think you should still go because it is something that you if you feel strongly about that you need to do then you go and that's one example of not having attachments to the point with the people to the point that you are uh, crippling your own happiness and your own life and your own pathway. So I'll just leave you with that. I hope you guys have a great night. I'll be back tomorrow probably. And I'm going to talk about um, uh, gay mass tomorrow night. So gay topics, gay um, what happenings, gay news, that kind of stuff. So hope to see you then. Good night.
Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. 